Today's podcast is with John Connolly from Seven Dust and Projected. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of both your bands, of both of Seven Dust and and the Projected. In fact, you're another you're another guitar player that when you started your side project, uh, and and that's if it, that's if you what you call it a side project, but the other band, right. like uh, all of a sudden you're like you can sing, <laughs> <laughs> and and I've had this discussion so many times. It's just I think it's ingrained into the I would consider myself the average viewer, the average viewer that guitar players who don't sing get singers and bands and stuff like it just seems so so crazy every time you know it's like it's almost like you were hiding all these years like when guitar players are playing and then one day all of a sudden you hear them singing you're like oh crap why didn't he just sing in the first place right uh you know the funny thing was when we uh we first talked about starting seven dust um even before we had lejean there was like a I don't know, maybe like a three, four week period of time where we were actually kind of contemplating me actually being the singer in the band. And I just, I, I was not ready yet. You know, I mean, it, it was one of those things where it was like all of the pieces of the puzzle were, were so solid and I was already kind of hanging on white knuckling, just playing guitar, switching from drums to guitar. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm comfortable singing and I'm comfortable playing guitar, but I don't know if I'm comfortable doing both of them together at the same time in front of all you guys who were, you know, shredders and great players. And I I think at that point in time, it was just like, I I was super comfortable in my role as being a songwriter, guitar player, backup singer. Um, But there is something to be said about two decades of, uh, you know, sitting, sitting side fiddle to Lejean, you learn a lot. <laughs> you, you learn about what, you, you know, a lot about what great singers do. Um, and not, not just from the, the actual physical aspect of singing. It's like just watching him over the past, you know, two and a half decades, how he commands a crowd, like not, not even when he's singing, like when he's not singing is sometimes when, you know, the hairs on my arms will stand straight up just because he'll say just the right thing at the right time, you know. Um, but when when, he, when we first started, you know, that, that that was something that wasn't supernatural for him. He's always been a type A personality, so it was always in him. But, you know, watching him bloom over the past, you know, few decades is I, th- I think it gave us all the 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 courage to kind of like, all right, I'm not LeJean Witherspoon. I'm not trying to be LeJean Witherspoon by any stretch of the imagination. You know, the same way, you know, you know, Mark Tremonti is not trying to be Miles Kennedy, you know, with, with the Tremonti project and things like that. But I think the, um, I think at the end of the day, the songwriting part of the equation was such an important piece of the puzzle that even if I wasn't going to be the singer, I needed to learn how to do it just so that I could at least take part in that part of the process. Cause I, you know, some of my favorite bands, I mean, a lot of people look at me, they're like, oh, you know, he's a guy who's into Pantera and he's into Metallica and he's into Duran Duran and he's into Journey and he's into Foreigner. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 hold on, time out. What's going on here? You know, I've always been uh, really drawn to um, just a strong sense of melody. I mean, regardless of what the band may be, you know, I mean, you, 
a band like Journey, you know, they're undeniable. I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of metalheads are like, yeah, I don't know, man, I'm too hard for Journey. I'm like, I don't think anyone's too hard for Journey, man. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it was just a natural thing following that, um, you know, that that path to the end result in being the best song you could possibly write, and having Lejean kind of guide me through those early stages of, of of feeling things out and and just singing behind him you know singing behind him for all those those years you know it was kind of like all right maybe maybe I do have a voice maybe, maybe I do have something that I want to say and maybe I should step up there and actually take a crack at it and see what happens it's still nerve-wracking though I'm telling you it's not easy <laughs> it's like thinking oh yeah you know you're a stand-up comic and I got the best joke and you tell the joke and it just tanks you know and it's like sometimes that happens you know sometimes you're like yeah I got this note and you got to hit the note it's just like oh it's not good you know you crack it you forget the words that 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 happens from time to time um but yeah I mean I I think it's all part of that process of just uh you know just trying to grow as an artist you know I I think my growth rate was um sort of accelerated on guitar only because I don't think anyone thought we were going to get a record deal as fast as we did. You know, I'd been playing guitar maybe about a year and a half, two years. And all of a sudden we're getting ready to go in the studio to make our first record. And I was like, I thought I was going to have a little bit more of a learning curve, <laughs> you know? So for me, it was like trial by fire. I was like, okay, I've already been in the studio on drums. So just ignore all that and just focus on all the guitar stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, it, it took me 15 years to get enough courage to go all right I want to sing this and just see see what happens let me see if I can crash the car with this one so so yeah I mean for for me it's all been about that 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 whole learning process see and I think what I what I think is great about it now it's kind of like when we were we were kids and you'd watch all these movies or read all these comics and stuff. And then now they're doing all the stuff they call like world building, right. Or whatever, where they expand out the universe, right. Expanding the universe. Sure. That's what this feels like when you see parts of a band or even a parts of parts of bands come together and make right. other bands. And what's interesting is um, when you listen to it, you go, Oh, this is familiar. Wait, this is different though. This is sure. right. There's these like, like, like that world building thing, right? Like you can yeah, see yeah. parts of the things you like from the band you like, and then you can see this part that of this musician who's slightly different. And, yep. and uh, it, I think it actually, every time since you brought Tremonti, same, same concept. It's the first time you hear Tremonti, like I want to go back even harder and listen to Alter Bridge now yeah. and hear so you all can take the- it apart and kind of figure out, Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's him. I always thought it was the other dude. It, that happens to me all the time. I'll go see a band. I'm sitting there. I'm fixated on the guitar player. They're starting to set. I know what they're going to play. And I go, wait a minute. He's playing that. Wait a second. He wrote that. And then you then you go back and you have a whole new appreciation for it. But yeah, I mean, I think we wear our hearts on our sleeves. I mean, at this age, I don't think any of us are going to try to completely reinvent what we do. Um, it, not not unless someone just said, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be the world's greatest polka star, you know, like at <laughs> You know, it's just what I'm into. I mean, if you're really into it, then by all means do it. But I'm not going to try to be a hip hop star right now. You know, I mean, it's like I I do what I do and I enjoy doing what I do. Like when I grab a guitar, some of the most nerve wracking times are when I sit down and go, okay, I need this. And it's just like, that's the wrong way to go fishing. You know, 
to go fishing and go, yeah, I need this. You don't really know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's very, really unexpected. So, you know, I think over the years, I've just, I've accepted the fact that I need to tune in my receiver a little bit better and just accept whatever's happening, you know, it, sit down and say, oh, you know, I'm going to write a power ballad today. And all of a sudden you start riffing out, you know, you're setting up the rig and all of a sudden there's the heaviest thing that you've ever written and you got to follow it, you know, cause it's like, this is really cool. You know, it wasn't what I intended on doing. So for me, I, I think that that's the part of the process that um, I've accepted and I've learned. And it's really cool when you talk about the world building, because I enjoy going to my other dudes and going, okay, what is it? I know what I contribute to seven dust, but when you really can like take me out of it, take Lejean out of it and focus just on like Clint Lowry's stuff. Or when you do like the call me no one stuff where you've got Clint and Morgan together. Um, and then you've got me and Vinny over on the other side and you can kind of see the different pieces of those puzzles. But I mean, we've got six degrees of separation because, you know, we've even got E-Rock from Chimani, you know, in the mix. So we've kind of crossed over not only within our own band, but over here on the side with another band. And I mean, six degrees of separation, I guess you could follow it all the way to Guns N' Roses if you really wanted to, <laughs> you know, because you got Miles and Slash and, you know, all that. So it, it's interesting how um, I think when we first started doing like the side projects and stuff, it was a little nerve wracking because it was like, all right, I'm not as much worried about what the fans are going to think about it as much as what is the rest of my band going to think about it? Are they going to be cool with it? And once everyone signed off on it, everyone was super receptive to it. It was okay. Now let's take it to the fans and see what they think. And we've got some of the coolest fans ever because everyone supports everything, you know, even if it's a one-off, you know, like Morgan's done a couple things um, just as like one-off projects, but there's always, you know, enormous support from our fan base for doing it. So it's cool that any, any one person can, or two people or, you know, however many can kind of step out and do that thing. And it's still supported and accepted within the, you know, that whole seven dust and alter bridge um, and Tremonti umbrella. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's, it's been, you know, cause we, we were from the, you know, when the rock bands literally stayed together or broke up. That was, it. that was it. That was yeah, it. One or the other. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there yeah. was no, there and was the no second there was any kind of chatter about something going on. I was like, that's it. They're over. It happened to us. I swear it happened to us because it was like, I think it was 2012 when we had decided two things needed to happen. Number one, we needed to take a break. Um, we needed to take a break from seven dust because we had a really, really good ride, a good hard push, but we needed, um, we were kind of looking at a lot of like our touring activity and we were just, it was just over the top you know it was like yeah i mean going to new york city 10 times on an album cycle may seem like a great idea until you know your fans are like jesus man i'm having a hard time keeping up with you guys so it was like okay our fans need a break <laughs> we need a break our fans need a break um and we needed just to kind of step away and go all right let's just let's let's see what happens and it wasn't like like we all sat down and said okay we're going to do side projects we didn't do that at all we just said well what are we going to do and you know, you look at the time and then you look at your Dropbox folder and how many tunes you got in there. And then, then you start scratching your head going, you know, I could probably pull something off pretty, pretty cool, pretty quick. And that was pretty much how it happened. You know, call me no one in. Um, I think I followed call me no one maybe by about five or six weeks on the recording process. And um, 
you know, it was just one of those things where we just said, well, we got tons of time, so let's not put any pressure on whatever we're doing. Let's just do it. And, uh, you know, if it's cool, great. If it's not, then we'll just kind of sweep it under the rug and no one even needs to know that we did it, you know. But um, but I, I think it was one of those experiments that we got really lucky with the first one. Um, you know, I, I think the important thing on the first record was um, there was enough songs there because Elvis – we brought Elvis in at the 11th hour and said, okay, look, you know, there's so much that we know that we can do and mixing a record right now that we really want, you know, want it to sound sonically right. Um, we, we needed him. It, you know, it, it was like, it was either him or, or someone who was going to be a ringer, so to speak, someone who knew the terrain, you know, because when they're opening up the drives, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I can't tell them how I recorded this because they're going to throw the drives at me. Like they're really going to look at me and be like, what? You know, so they start listening to it and I'm just like, oh God, it's here, here it comes, here it comes. And they were super cool. They were like, oh, you know, tell us about how you did this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, Whew. all right, I survived. You know, I, I got through the BS meter of the first stage of, okay, let me not discuss. And I think it was like four or five days in. Finally, Elvis looked at me and goes, how'd you record this, man? And I was like, oh, man, you don't want to know. <laughs> and he goes, don't, don't tell me you did it on an inbox. I was like, yeah, inbox too. And he goes, you're kidding me. And I was like, no, nah, man, this is all on a budget, you know. So sitting in a room like this, just, you know, just making music, creating it. So having him come in and, and put it all together, I think was a, a serious stamp of approval. Um, because we knew it was good, but sonically he just really pulled it together to a place that we were i think we were really surprised <laughs> all of us were kind of looking at each other going how did we do that for nothing you know literally i mean we never we didn't record together you know the first record was basically me and flip going in the studio going through the songs a handful of times till he was comfortable got those drum tracks and we took it over to the house um i recorded main rhythms started putting you know some little bells and whistles around in some little key places and then started working on vocals and then e-rock came in once vocals were finished so it was a very it was a very bizarre way to do a record where you do drums guitars vocals <laughs> and then you do more vocals and more guitars and then Vinny was the last one Vinny had a whole record to play bass to it was the craziest thing ever he's sitting there he's like man this job is great I'm like it's all there like all the parts are there so it was a pretty unorthodox way about going about doing it, but, um, you know, it, it was just to have fun. And it was like, all right, if it sticks, it sticks. And here we are 10 years later and we're still doing it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, I, I, I guess it, it stuck. It worked, you know? What's funny is I love it when, when musicians like you talk about stuff like using the inbox or talking about stuff like that, because that's, that's, that's kind of why I started this, this, this thing I started a few years ago was this, weird thing that started happening with new musicians and you know when we started out there was nothing you had nothing right there was like there was just junk gear and then expensive gear. you had a task cam or a fostex four four track track yeah eight track if you were really really balling you know if you were the kid on the street who could afford the eight track but yeah other than that it was a four track at best and and what what happened was uh trey from from fish did an interview one day this is years ago and i was watching this interview and he just made this one comment and i loved it and stuck with me forever but they were talking you know it was like a rig rundown they're like he's talking about his mesa boogie amp 
And then they get to his 212 cabinet and he's like, oh, I made that out of plywood with my roommate. And they're like, oh, is that part of your tone? Do you love it? And he's like, I, I don't know. I've just had it forever. He goes, I probably could get a new cabinet and sound better. He's like, but I've kind of learned what, what this sounds like. Yep. And that's where I started going, yeah, you know what? That's what makes sense. Drip, getting every drip at you can out of the gear you have and you understand it. Because think about this. You, you know, you could use inbox. And like you said, you were nervous, right? Because of that, that thing. They're like, oh, once they find out what he used. But, the, sure. but at the end of it, all that mattered was the results. The results sounded good. We'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, and it 100%. It was like nobody in history is ever going to look back and go, oh, that record was amazing because they used a, you know, a 59 Les Paul through a 1971. None of that is happening. You know, if anything, I think people would look back on some of the biggest records of all time and they would be shocked at the gear that actually was used. And I'm talking about even guys like Mutt Lang who can yeah. afford, you know, every bit of gear on earth. They're DIing in guitars on one of the biggest selling records he ever did. Literally no amp at all. Let's just go straight in and just put, they didn't even have plugins back in. I don't know how they were doing it, but you know, the end result is what the end result is. So for us, it was like, you know, it, it would be nice to have, other pieces of gear but the beauty of doing it that way is now i can really appreciate what those other pieces of gear really do add to the picture and there are some workarounds you don't have to have a rack of 1073s to make stuff sound good you don't it'd be nice if you had a pair one something um, but you don't really need it i didn't use it and when people listen back to it they're like well, why does it sound like a neve i'm like well that would have something to do with elvis's neve being in the mix you know, that's the color of the mix. So you can kind of, you can play some smoke and mirrors with a lot of stuff, you know? And I mean, honestly, it was, I'm not going to lie, that that first record was um, a lot of the bias plug-in, a lot of the MicroCube DI straight into Pro Tools, you know, just running the DI out of that one. Um, I've, I've gotten so comfortable with the MicroCube over the years that if you put me in, in a room with every amazing amp on earth other than the two or three that i know how to get in and go too fast if the microcubes there i'm probably going to grab it only because i can point and shoot with that so quickly <laughs> you know <laughs> right. you, you sit me down in front of the wrong friedman and i'm like an hour later i'm going ah, i think i got something cool but i'm not real sure you know um but yeah i mean i think it's it's just a color and it's it's how you use that tool you look at someone like um uh, billy eilish great example what she did with her brother phineas in that bedroom yeah <laughs> i loved it the whole Absolutely. time i was going you see you know and my wife's sitting there looking she goes aren't those the same speakers and the same setup that you got in here i was like pretty much the same rig 
you know, looking at the software, looking at all the stuff, it doesn't have to do with the gear and it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with the presentation and the picture. Absolutely. The Beatles, the Beatles wrote all the songs, all of them. And they were all on four tracks <laughs> until they actually, I think they, they had an eight track on something, but it was like, it was done so rudimentary. You look back on it and you're like, it was, a, it was about the vibe. It was about the art. It was about the song, you know? So it, it's cool to get hung up on all the other stuff, but sometimes I'm like, you know, Eros, like heaviest tune we had on the last record was, uh, was done off that microcube. I, we just, we needed something quick and he wanted to do this growly thing and it was in Call Me the Devil. So I was like, well, just set up the whammy. And he goes, uh, I was looking around. I was like, I don't have any cabinets plugged in. He was like, oh, let me just do it real quick. We'll just do it as a placeholder. So we threw it down on the microcube and we recreated it like a week later. And then we we're just scratching our heads going, why is it so much cooler with a microcube? It's like, all right, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Got to the studio. Elvis never even asked a question. He just fired it up, you know. But, That's uh, all. but yeah, gear gear sometimes I, I think can, can sort of get in the way. Yeah. Um, especially if you're trying to justify something that you spent a lot of money on, you know, I've done that before, you know, it's, it's always those things that you, ah, you know, you're not expecting much out of it and you plug it in you're like, wow, this is cool. And you use it on a lot. And then there's other, other times where you spend some money on something and you're, they're just like, Oh man, how come I never use this? You know? So I've actually gotten a whole lot better. Like you look around my studio people are like, where's the gear? I'm like, this is it. This is all I need. You know, I don't need much. See, and that's like I said, it's always cool and refreshing to to hear. And especially like now, one of the things I love watching on YouTube is all these people reacting to they get the old isolated tracks from great songs now and albums. Oh yeah. And almost every time when you're listening to these isolated tracks, the track itself is not that magical, right? You know, yeah. it's just it's just weird. And you know, here oh, yeah. you are, you're picturing this huge sound, and all of a sudden you hear this yeah. guitar riff, and it's not that huge, sure. but it's all of the recording, you know, it's all coming together, it's how they layered it, it's how they cut it. Um, so like I said, it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, you look at you know, one of the records is still today, hands down, stands out, and I completely freak people out because most non-musicians don't get it and they haven't paid the, enough close attention. You listen to the first Van Halen record and take the, just pan it all the way to the left where there's no guitar, there's just a little bit of the slap and everyone's like, what's going on? And then you flip it all the way back over on the other side and they're like, he's only got one track of guitar. I'm like, one track of guitar. And that record arguably is what made him an icon, you know, a, a, an absolute guitar hero. The fact that he didn't double it. Right. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's the cockiest move of all time because that guitar tone is amazing. And he only needed one, <laughs> you know, he needed one to redefine history. So I sit there and go, okay, cool. You know, it's cool sometimes to get in the studio. You got all the tracks in the world. You're like, all right, we're going to build the wall. You know, we got two, now we got four, let's do six. And at some point you're just like, I don't know, man, I'm starting to lose perspective here. I think I just like the one or the two. So it, that was actually a cool exercise when I went back and I spent time with that, um, that first Van Halen record. I was like, I started just pulling all kinds of stuff out of my demos. I was like, unnecessary, get rid of it, get rid of it. Kind of really streamlining it down to just like, all right, let's get as focused as we can on what do we really need? And the demos got 10 times better when I started doing that. So, you know. I, but in my no stretch of the imagination, am I even in the same realm as Eddie Van Halen as a player? But he has taught me a few things as far as, you know, just, just the point and shoot technique of, of, you know, 
sometimes you need to get back to the music. It's real easy when you're by yourself, you got your click track, you got your program, everything is very gridded. Um, so it is sort of refreshing when you actually get to end a band rehearsal and you start playing with a drummer who's got a little bit of the push and the pull and it's like, ah, okay, this, this feels right. Because I'll even find myself doing it. I'm like, ah. And I, with demos, I, I try not to get too crazy. There's been times in the studios where we, we've tempo mapped songs and I mean, we'll be like eight BPM different from the verse to the chorus, just because that's just what's, it's, it feels right. It just doesn't feel, you know, it, every other way that we tried it, it just felt weird. And most people would never even notice that until you pointed it out and you're like, oh yeah, you guys are pushing a little bit there, but it feels good. I'm like, okay. And when we gridded the whole thing out and kept it the same tempo, it felt like we were dragging. And then we pushed it up and, you know, um, so yeah, I, I try not to get too anal when it comes to the demos. Cause I always know that whatever happens in the demo stage is really only maybe 70, 75% of the picture. And it's that last 25% when you actually get the real human beings into the mix, that's where the excitement for me happens. You know, it's that framing of the house and everything that's super important. You build your base, you build your foundation, you got everything done, but that last 25% is where all the magic happens. That's where all the human, the actual physical, okay, you know, what's Morgan going to play? Or what, what would Flip play? And they would completely, even on the same piece of music, they'll have completely different um, ideas. We've had a couple of things that um, we tried in the world of Seven Us that didn't work, that worked really well in the world of Projected. And it's funny when you sit down and you listen to where like two phenomenal drummers with completely different takes on the same piece of music. You know, and for me, that, that that's sort of like the most exciting part of the process, because I know what I'll do. You know, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do. It's always what, you know, what Vinny or E-Rock may, may throw at me or what Clint may throw at me and be like, I never in a million years would have thought about that. You know, so, so you know, for me, that, that that's where the real magic happens. You know, de demo world is awesome, but once you cross that boundary over to the, all right, let's let's actually get out of the computers for a minute. And let's let's get the people you know back in the mix but but yeah i mean the demo process is uh <laughs> it's a lot different than it used to be i mean j just from a presentation point of view you know i can actually play something for someone and everyone's like sounds like a finished like completely finished you know because the plugins are so good these days all the gear that you've got in house in the studio it's just you know it it it's not um I think a lot of people think that there's some like a really a lot of magic and you really have to know what you're doing with it. And I think the thing is, is just time in the saddle. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And the less you do of anything, the better it's all going to sound anyways. You know, some people look at my stuff, say, oh, that demo sounds really good. And I'm like, I haven't like no EQ. Everything's just straight up. You know, just make it sound good. You know, we're not we're not making a record. <laughs> I just want it to where everyone can hear everything and go, oh, OK, I get it, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, just from the presentation point of view, the demos, and I've got them, I've actually got them in the closet. I don't have a cassette player here in the house, but they have to be pretty funny to listen back to. Because I remember listening back in the day going, ah, they don't really sound that good. And I don't know why they don't sound good, but but you can kind of tell what was happening, you know, and to ABM to what I'm doing now. It's just like, uh, it, it's crazy. Now, I know you were using the EVH amps, but now are you you're using Kempers or using both? What are you, what are you doing? Um, sort of a both. It's like the EVH is that one amp that um, 
no matter how many times I try, I can't quit it. <laughs> I tried and I tried and I tried. And it's just, it, it's always got a place. It's, um, it's probably the blue channel on the original EVH, not the stealth, not a big fan. I wasn't really a big fan of the red channel. The, the lead channel for me, it, it was, um, it, it's a lot of fun to play by itself. But when you play with another guitar player with five guys and we're tuned to like, sometimes G or G sharp, um, that red channel gets lost. It's like, it's a killer channel for playing solos and it's an awesome channel for someone who's like a single guitar player in a Van Halen or something like that. But the blue channel on the other hand never gets lost. So that blue channel on the EVH is sort of just like a benchmark. Um, but it's interesting because I've sort of gravitated back towards um, my old Marshall, my old 71 Super Lead that I, I hadn't played in a long time. Uh, played it on some of the early Seven Dust records and then I gave it a break for a while. And then, you know, on a whim, I just figured, ah, let's just bring it over to the studio and see what happens. And Elvis never turned it off. As a matter of fact, he never, he never let me take it home. He actually bought it from me. <laughs> so he lives in a studio now because he was like, this, this, I have to have this amp. He's like, this is the best Marshall I've ever heard. It's a modern Marshall, but it's, it's not, it's nothing crazy. Um, and it's just one of those amps that just when you fire it up and you get it humming and you get it really, really dialed in, it does, it's a one trick pony. And the, the trick is amazing. If you get the trick, some people don't get the trick. Um, but for me, um, I could hear some of the elements of the Marshall in the EVH. I think I hear a little bit more of the um, SLO 100 in the EVH than I do the Marshall. Um, even in, in the original, like the, uh, the block letter 5150, I didn't really play the 5152 that much, um, but I played the first one a lot and the new one a lot more. <laughs> um, at first I didn't think that I loved the EVH as much as I did, but I, there were a couple things about the original, um, that no matter what I did EQ wise, I, I just couldn't really dial it out, but it was just an inherent thing in the tone that isn't there with the EVH. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the EVH is sort of like, that's, that's where I start. And then I deviate over to the Marshall world a bit. Um, been checking out a lot of the neural um, DSP plugins. Uh, really, really big fan. Mark had played the Granifier and I checked out their uh, the plugin version of it. Super, super usable. Um, really, really digging that a lot. Um, the Nameless is another one, which is basically like my 71 mod. It's, it's, it's a Fortin version of, of the same amp. So a lot of those characteristics are, are so, so similar. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I'm kind of all over the map. Like, you know, in, in the studio, nine times out of 10, what I'm probably gonna use is either gonna be the Marshall, like I did on the last projected record. I thought it was all gonna be Kemper and Elvis was like, I'm not turning that off until we need to turn it off. <laughs> I was like, okay. Cool. I mean, I enjoy playing it. So if you enjoy hearing it, then we're good, you know, and it was like a week or so went by before it was like, oh, let's bust the Kemper out. Um, and the, the go to on, on the Kemper tone um, for him is uh, it's, it's a 5150, but it's a 5150 that he built himself. He actually built it with an orange cabinet. He's got a couple other things. I think he might have had an overdrive on there. Um, so it's sort of a very specific tone that he had built for you know, what we do in the world of seven us. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's, um, you know, I'm down to try anything as long as it sounds cool. I mean, I'm all over the map. You'll come in here some days and you'll see a, 
like I'm back on this new VH4 kick. Like I didn't really use it that much um, back in the day, but for whatever reason, it's the great layer over the top of the foundation. Like on any track that I want to sit over the top, I call it the twilight zone stuff, you know, stuff that's over the chorus. It's just kind of floating around. VH4 has been like sort of one of my go-tos. Um, so I've sort of like fallen back in love with that, even after I got away from it for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got some Friedman's that I lean on pretty heavily. I got a couple of Ingles that I lean on pretty heavily. Um, really digging the Pete Thorne. Um, I think it's the PT 100, the, right. the Sir. Yeah, from Sir. Uh, the plugin, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like one of those plugins that I could almost do. Like when, when you first play it, you're like, okay, it's cool nothing great but as soon as you start tracking with it you're like wait a second you know it's like i don't know what it is about that plugin it's almost like it's got an auto eq it works for everything so and i mean i don't even know where i've got the eq anymore i literally just pull it up jc1 and just roll um but yeah i i, th I think the evh is probably the the bread and butter cornerstone but that being said live it's all kempers um, yeah, well, in the studio, it's actually all Kempers now, too, because the major advantage of not having microphones out, you know, with a bunch of bodies in the studio is the fact that, you know, somebody walks by and knees that microphone just a quarter of an inch. And then the whole next day, everyone's scratching their heads going, what's off? You know, why is the phase off this? You know, I mean, it's just it's this most subtle thing. And at first I was like, oh, I think we're overthinking it. And then I could hear it. I'd be like, oh man, this really sucks. We're never going to get that again, are we? And it was like, no. So we realized after doing that exercise that it was easier to just retract the part <laughs> after spending 30 minutes trying to fix it. Um, and then it was like, this, this is stupid. Let's just use the Kemper and just get the microphone phasing issue completely out of the equation. And Elvis was like totally down with it. You know, he's like in the studio, it just makes so much more sense because it's, it's exact. If something doesn't sound right, then something is wrong. Something right. is off. You know, that's the one thing about the Kemper, I think that, um, that trumps everything. It is a snapshot, a perfect snapshot in time. You know, I mean, I, I keep, it's funny because I, I tell Mark, I was like, dude, you got all these crazy amps. You need to get a Kemper just so that you can, you can oh, get that tone profile and, ball, yeah. and never lose it, you know? Like what happens if you blow a transformer in the dumble? Good luck finding one of those. I mean, you'll find something that'll work, but it's like, I don't know, man. You know, you blow an old engine in one of those old muscle cars. It's like uh, the, the new parts are like, they work, but I don't know if you're going to get that same magic. So for me, once I started profiling with, with the Kemper, that's where, um, the first week I had it, I had a lot of buyer's remorse. So I was like, man, I think I might've made a mistake. Um, and I didn't realize when you get the Kemper, it has this weird room setting on, like it was some effect. And I was like, I don't know what this is and I can't get rid of it. And talking with Elvis, he's like, oh, go in there and just turn that thing off. And as soon as it did, everything snapped to the center. I went, oh my God, this is amazing. All right, now, now we're cooking with gas. Um, I did my first couple profiles and after I did the second one, cause I did the first one, you push the buttons, crazy sounds. And then it was like, refine, you know, execute. Yes. Now I was like, I don't know. I mean, no, we're done. You know, and I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I read and it was like, the longer you play, the better the profile gets. So I was like, 
okay. And they're like, if you want more low, play more high stuff. If you want more high stuff, play more low stuff. They're like the best thing to do is like spend a good chunk of time playing everything all everywhere on the guitar. So that's what I did. You know, literally just played for like, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour and then hit execute, refine. And I swear I couldn't tell the difference between my amp and the Kemper. Um, actually, you can because there's no amp noise. <laughs> there's no hum coming out of the speaker when you've got the Kemper. So for me, I was like, I, I don't know. It just it keeps winning. You know, it's like one of those tools. I think it's really done it's almost done for what like Pro Tools has done for audio recording that to guitar recording because it's made it to where I mean every all the games have been stepped up for sure Fractal's been making good stuff Kemper's been making good stuff and now all these plug-in companies are like okay now that we can see the potential of what you can really do with these things I mean it's just it's a phenomenal tool and it's 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 a perfect snapshot because literally it lives on a thumb drive right there you know, if I want to go do a session, I grab my iLock, I grab my thumb drive and a guitar and I go. That's it. Yeah. Uh, well, everything, well, everything that I would need access for, I've either got moved over into Dropbox or I've got on one of my, you know, one of my drives. But that's pretty much it. I mean, I couldn't. I can't even begin to guess how many guitar tones I have in my Kemper right now. Because at first I was like, oh, I went nuts. And then I went, all right, I really, this is too much. Like, I don't need 30 Herberts. I need one that sounds phenomenal, you know. And you get lost sometimes. You're like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm, I got to narrow down to like seven. And then you're like, okay, this is just stupid. You know, you go on a rig manager and I'm like, what isn't there? You know what right. I mean? Like, th there's so many options. So for me, I really needed to kind of streamline and kind of get it back down to the, you know, the five or six that, that I really, really love. But, you know, I'll stumble across a framus, you know, and just be like, oh, I got to go write a metal song real quick, you know. So sometimes that's that's the that's my favorite part of it is just go like if if I need to be inspired, go to the rig manager and go, ooh, that's cool. Like I don't know what 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 is that, you know? I've never played one of those, and then you play with it for a while, and then you write a song with it, and then you go, all right, well, you know, there is something to be said about that. When you're live, what are you using for power? Are we, are you? In ears, are you using the powered Kempers? Are you running? Yeah, power I've got I've got one of each. I've got a powered, um, and I've got a non-powered um, because we have actually used cabinets on the stage. Um, we did for a while where they were just traditionally face in front of house, and then we started doing the side thing because when we would rehearse, we would always do the side thing. Um, PA would be going this way, you know. Obviously, monitors back in. Guitars would be cutting across the stage, bass and drums would be pushing out. And for us, it was just the most natural, normal thing to do. So even when we would pull cabinets out on stage, sometimes we would do them sideways. You get a little better feedback response. You feel connected to the speaker a little bit better when it's there as opposed to being all the way behind you. Um, but there is something really cool about having a completely clear deck and not having so much volume fighting. Um, I mean, you know, back when we were like, each of us, you know, Clint had four calves, I had four calves, Vinny had at least two, sometimes four calves, and then the drums, and we're all on a years, you know, and we're just blasting away, and poor LJ's up there, you know, because the ears never worked for him, because there was so much stage volume, now he's on ears, he loves it, he thinks it's the best thing ever, he's like, so comfortable up here, I'm like, it is. And there is something to be said about that because, you know, when you're 20, 20, 
you know, two years old, yeah, you know, you'd want to jump off the drum riser and, you know, tackle your bass player or whatever, you know, all the cabinets, you, you want everything going nuts. And then when you turn 50, you go, I really want to be able to hear so I can perform really well, <laughs> you know, so maybe we should actually turn some of this down. And our front of house engineer has been like, oh, it's like, you've just made my life so much easier. Um, yeah, for, for him, it's hands down a win across the board. Like our mixes across the board, just, he doesn't have to fight anything at all. You know, the only thing that he has to deal with is, is whatever the actual sound level of the drums and, and that coming off the stage and then everything else is in the ears. So it makes his, his life so much easier. It makes our singer happier. <laughs> um, it makes our crew happier because there's no cabinets to be lugging around. You know, we literally roll in one rack. It's the funniest thing. Everyone's like, where's your gear? It's one rack. All the Kempers are lined up in one rack. The guitar, bass, and both me, Clan, and Vinny all in one rack. That's it. And it just sits over there on the side of the stage. Everyone's like, that's it. I'm like drum set and Matt Rack and Lejean. That's all we need. <laughs> so, you know, just from it, I love amps. I do. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get to a point where I don't think there'll be an amp. I mean, I've got a, I've got a Marshall and an EVH here right behind me. I've always got a speaker cabinet here. Um, I just don't see a point in dragging them out on tour anymore. Unless I just go, I have to play that amp on this tour. Like, I just really want to play that amp on this tour. Um, and I, I, I could totally see making an argument for that, you know, but it wouldn't be for the long haul. And it definitely wouldn't make a front of house engineer as happy as he is right now. Because that whole little microphone thing, you know, stuff, you know, every day he fires it up and the Kemper sounds like the Kemper. You know, we would have to physically go in there and do something different, you know, or change something out or have something be weird with the guitar. Anytime that he's like, something's a little off, check the input jack. It's usually in the guitar, you know, or at the pedal board, you know, something, you know, simple fix. But yeah, I mean, I fought Kempers for a while because I, I, I was sort of being pulled. I think it was being friends with Mark, I was being pulled more into the, you know, you go over to his house and he's got something really, really crazy and you play it for one and you're like, yeah, screw those Kempers, man. It's all about the real amps. And then you go out to rig manager and I go, hey, dude, I call out Mark. I was like, I got 40 of that amp, man. These are great. And he's like, what? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, it's like, I, I, I think it's, it's just a better tool, you know, for, for what we do. Um, even making records i mean it's i always said it would be an invaluable tool when you're out on tour but i don't know if i would ever do it in the studio i don't know if i wouldn't do it in the studio you know especially right. when you look at the engineer who's like please use the kemper i'm begging you to use the kemper and the producer going please use the kemper i really prefer to use the kemper um he's got one of those oxes uh which are killer you know yeah i, I have an ox and it, yeah it, to That's me, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. To me, it kind of like, because uh, I have a Kemper as well, and yep. the Ox, uh, and I have the Two Notes Captor, which is slightly different because it's reactive, you know, reactive sure. load box. Um, but the Ox, the first time I played the Ox with one of my amps, it, I almost like, I almost like said it like, oh, it Kempers my amp, but like it basically because it, yeah. it does that same thing. It, it takes out a lot of the variables of your amp that we're out you know what i mean um 
And I love them both. I think they both do something yeah. cool. Um, but that, so- that's the thing is like, you know, I mean, for, for me to enjoy it, it's one thing, but for, to, for me to go to the studio and see Elvis have two of them sitting there and he opens up the iPad, he's like, oh, no, no, because I'm like, what are we going to do for the, you know, because I was like, you want to use the Marshall? Well, what speaker are you going to set up? And he was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. Just sit, sit and learn, sit and learn. He fires up. And I'm looking in the iPad. I'm like, ooh, what's that? He goes, this is the Ox. I'm like, okay, I've heard about this show. And then he showed me and I went, all right, I got to have that too. Like, you know, another invaluable piece of gear for, especially for the home studio. You know, it's like, if you wanted, it, there's very few ways that you can, um, who's making one? There's somebody who's making one. Um, it's a cab simulator, but it's just the vintage 30. Um, what is it? Cali Super, Super XL. I just saw them do a demo for it and it's a killer plugin, but it's all one cabinet. Right. So I was like, man, if you could make a plug-in or something, I was like, oh yeah, the aux. I mean, you've, you've already used it. That's what it is. So it's like, I, I, I need to pull the trigger and get one over here at the house because that, that's the beauty of it. It's just being able to take that amp and manipulate it in a different way. You know, sometimes it was just as simple as switching from a 412 to a 212. Yeah. You know, or an open back or just a positioning, you know, he, he worked the pad and just sit there and smile and be like, wow, that sounds great. Let's track it fast, you know? Um, but yeah, man, I, you know, anything that's going to make that part of the process smoother and easier, you know, I, I don't fight that stuff anymore. I, I used to, oh, if it doesn't have tubes, you know, you got to get rid of it. You know, oh, we're doing everything on tape. And I'm like, I think that for, for me, that the thing that it was the most defining moment is when I realized, and I had a, I had a discussion with a, um, a studio owner and a, a, a producer we were working with at, at the time up at Tree Sound in Atlanta. Uh, because Paul D, the the owner, he's he's he, he's he's a very purist type of guy. Like he really doesn't use tools much. It's mostly tape. It's mostly analog, uh, which which is great. It's awesome. Um, but I remember having the conversation, you know, and he was like, "Oh, Pro Tools sounds like crap," and I was like, "No, Pro Tools sounds like exactly what you're putting into Pro Tools. That that's the." The most eye-opening thing for me was like, oh, everything sounds good through tape. Well, of course it does. I mean, look look at how much, a re- you know, reel-to-reel tape is not cheap, you know, and it's also something that you can't beat the crap out of. You have to know how to handle in the studio, but it colors the sound 100%. If you wanted to add that color, you can add that color without spending all the money on the tape. But I remember having us, you know, when we were talking with Paul about this, I said, I think the beauty of Pro Tools is it's for the first time giving you an honest picture if you don't like it fix it <laughs> because it's not it's not coloring anything it's not lying it's telling you this is what i'm dealing with right here and sometimes you would listen to it back in that in the day and be like it's pretty Im- impressive how much um the human ear will get tuned into you know tape saturation and compression because it's you know you were like is there really that much going on it's like enough where it one felt right and one felt wrong so for the longest time, it was like, okay, why does Pro Tools feel wrong? Because it's telling the truth, fix it, make it feel right. You know, and we'd go through the process where we'd make records and send it out on tape. And we did hybrids where we put all the drums and bass on tape and stick the tape up on the shelf, beat the crap out of the session in Pro Tools. Then when we were done with that, put it back out on the tape, you know, and it was like, you know, the, the things that we used to do. Now I just open up Pro Tools and go, cool get the whole thing done do i want it to sound like tape put it on the master bus if i don't 
So, you know, I mean, I don't even use those tape uh, saturation plugins anymore. I, I've tried them and every time I use it, it's just like, it just seems like it's eating up DSP for no reason. Like I can't, I can't tell, right. you know, so much processing and other stuff that's going on at so many other levels. I'm like, I don't, I don't, well, you know. Well, that's, what's great. Like I said, you know, you, you got to try it. But what I liked uh, when I heard that you're using the Kempers and stuff is because, you know, like you said, there's this weird, like I like to tell everybody when somebody goes like, I like amps. And I'm like, well, I think that's, that's what a Kemper person is, is someone who likes amps. Absolutely. Uh, because sure. what I think is like one of my problems, I, I was really reluctant to the Kemper and all that stuff. For one reason, I don't play out professionally and I have a bunch of amps for some stupid reason. But I have like a amp that I play like 90% of the time. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was just like in my head going, I don't need 50 amps. I just play the one and I don't need to duplicate right. the one because I'll just take this one wherever I go. Yeah. Um, and uh, for me, when I started doing the, this channel and stuff, you started needing all this different amps and all these things to talk about and sure. so you you try this stuff i tried the axe effects i i have to do this you know all the stuff for the channel and you try the kemper and all the stuff and the kemper uh immediately felt the most at home to me uh, it feels I more think, like an amp yeah it's, it's closer like the fractal to me felt like give me the manual before i blow something up yeah Where with kemper i immediately just started doing this i was like i don't even know what i'm doing but i'm grabbing knobs and i'm turning them you know, yeah. it's like oh you know it's like kids you know smash you know oh i get this you know yeah for, for me that that was exactly what drew me into the process was the knobs and even the stuff up at the top was a little foreign but i went it feels more like an amp right you know? and then once i dove into the profiling i went okay wait a minute th this is different because i was like okay so it's a modeler and everyone was like no technically it's not really a modeler because a modeler would grab the closest, nearest thing and then kind of, you know, squeeze it into as close as it could get to that. Where you know, what this is doing, I mean, it's literally, it's taking the response from the amp itself. It's not like it's going to sound like any VA. It's just going to sound like that one, <laughs> the one that you're actually profiling. And I think the, the biggest game changer for me, in all honesty, Blue channel on the EVH, I wish had one more. Like I wish I could go to 11 because right. I'm usually oh, all the way up on the blue and I wish I had one more. And on my Kemper profile, everything is set at noon with it all the way up. And guess what? I've got one more now. So it fixed the problem because I, I was literally, I was talking with um, some of the folks over at EVH. I was like, is there any way, you know? And they're like, well, we can mod it, you know, we could give you a hotter tube. And I'm like, I don't want to start doing anything weirder. I just need just a little more, like to the point where I could throw like a compressor pedal or maybe just a boost, just a clean boost on there. But I, I was like, I don't know. Anytime I do that, I just wish that channel had it. And now yeah. it does, you know, literally as soon as I got into the Kemper, my eyes got like the light bulb went this big and I went, there's the problem. And I turned it up and it was just like, oh yes. It was the perfect <laughs> amount of gain. So yeah, I mean, Across the board, I, I think as far as the tool goes, it's just, I don't think we're going to see any less of them. Um, no. It has been a minute since since there's been a big splash though. Like when Kemper, I remember when Fractal came out, it was sort of like, ah, there's a lot of resistance. But when the Kempers came out, it was weird because it was like, it had a slow build and then they were 
everywhere everywhere <laughs> like, like I, everywhere that i went i was like okay i really need to you know clint was already on board with it i kind of started playing around with it and then we started using them live and then it was just like you know just happy crews unloading trailers with no cabinets going this is amazing this is great um yeah i mean it, it, there's just been so many wins across the board i love it when the fact that it's it's just it, it's just a tool literally like i think it was mark that i was talking to i was like okay yeah the dumble yes 100 that is it's a it's a piece of history like there's no other one like that the thing about the kemper is all right if it breaks or something happens you either update the software or use that one like i don't care which one i'm using for me, it's like, it's almost like the computer. It's just the tool to do what I needed to do. And when I fire it up, even when Mark fires it up, he sits there and he's like, man, there's some magic, there's some kind of voodoo going on because I'm telling you, this is an amp. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it feels like an amp. And then he goes, no, it feels exactly like an amp. And I'm like, well, that's, that's because it's profiled from an amp. I love it. I love it when I see bands now and you see it more and more. One guitar player has got the Kemper and one still got a real amp. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and they both sound great. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, that's that's Tremani. That's that that's oh. how Tremani does it because you know Mark is and you know the funny thing is Mark was like, ah, oh, you know, it was like I should get a Kemper at least for the studio. I'm like, you should get a Kemper for the studio and to just go over to Elvis's um like when he's got some downtime, take a few days and just go profile all your amps. Just make a snapshot of the ones that you go, okay, if there were a nuclear you know bomb were to hit my house while i'm out on tour and nobody was home but all my amps disappeared which ones am i going to go oh my god they're irreplaceable i wish i had that tone i always want that tone and i told him i was like even from the perspective of how many times have you changed your tubes he goes don't even say it and i'm like how many times and he goes yes you changed the tubes and the tone of the amp is completely different and i'm like dude you need to you need more campers in your life than you think you need you know, but I was like, no, nah, dude, you need one. You need one just to sit there and then you need your, you know, just get a flash drive, put them all on your flash drive, back them up, put them on a shelf somewhere. And if God forbid anything were to happen, you know, on top of the fact that I was like, there's a lot of amps that he's owned that he just hasn't absolutely 100% fallen in love with. But he was like, yeah, I kind of wish I still had that one around for this or that. Yeah. Take the snapshot. Yeah. You know, take the snapshot and, and just always have it. You know, that for me is worth the price of admission. It's like, it's never going away. Not unless you delete every version of it that's ever existed anywhere, you know, which for me would be a lot. You know, right. both the live Kempers, my drive here, the flash drive, I'd have to, I'd have, there'd be five versions I'd have to go and dump, you know, because I've, you know, back up to a backup and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's a, it, it's a tool that sounds um, legit. Like people don't know the difference. And I think that's the most important thing. I think that's what really kind of pushed it over the edge was it, had, you know, line six pods were great when they first came out. Cause it was like, yeah. okay, it's not an amp. It does something different. It's sort of usable in a weird, like plasticky kind of a way. This doesn't have any of that. Like none of it. Like the, when, when you take the pod and you go to the Kemper and be like, okay, version one, <laughs> version current and haven't had an update in a minute you know i'm like all right what's the new thing that's coming down the pipe what's going to be the new kemper 
you know, moving forward? Is Kemper going to have a new version of the Kemper? Are they going to keep it the same, you know, or is like, what's, what's on the horizon? There's got to be something co- cool coming up. I think if they're smart, they'll stay, stay the course. Uh, I like it yeah. when a lot of my, you know, a lot of musicians, they like to say, oh man, you know, they haven't got it right yet, but in 10 more years, I'll try it. And I'm like, my belief is Axe FX, you know, uh, the, the, the Kemper, the Cortex, all this stuff. This is the end for a while. This is how usually, sure. this is technically how technology works. It gets to a point where it's really good. And then for the next decade, it just works on how to get it cheaper. Right. You know what I mean? Because sure. you're only going to get at this point, you're, you're only going to get 1% better each time. Right. Right. And yeah. you're just going to get, that's where you'll start all the plus in-house plus fighting. You, it's not, it's not like there's one company out there doing it. You know, you've got, you know, you got Fractal, you got Kemper, but you got all these software companies that are building plugins oh, that are legit. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny people are like you're using the neural stuff. I'm like, yeah, because to, sometimes I don't want to take the Kemper home. Like 99. Okay. It was $99 and I could guarantee that I had my Martin Marshall here leave the other one over at the studio you know it was like okay 99 bucks i'm not going to stress out over a kemper is pretty expensive right it's a way better swiss army knife if you need all that for sure but there is something to be said about having you know the ability um what was the one that i stumbled across um fell in love with oh tim henson the tim henson oh yeah yeah it's phenomenal it's absolutely phenomenal. It was one of those plugins that I was like, ah, you know, it's a trial. I got to try the pink amp. Look at it. It's pink and purple. Didn't turn the thing off for like two weeks. I swear that pink and purple amp, I was just like, I used it on everything. <laughs> I used the multi-voicer. Like I abused the privilege of even having it. I was like, oh man, now, now I got to go back. Cause it was like two songs that I wrote with the multi-voicer. That was just like, this is so cool. This is like a totally different you know, way, way to go about doing it. And I, I think the other cool thing about that plugin, that was a little more expensive. I think that was like maybe 130 or 140. Right. But it's cool. It's got the multi-voicer. It's got all the pre-effects. It's got all the post-effects, which some of them are usable. Some of them are, you know, I mean, like delays, it wasn't my favorite delay. It's it's a delay. It'll do what it needs to do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Sometimes for me, it's just like, okay, if I know that I've got five or six go-tos here, I'd rather just leave the Kemper out on tour because that's where I'm going to use it most. Um, And the difference in the Kemper, which I've used here at the house quite a bit, and the plugins that I have here in the system, no one's going to know for demos. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm not actually making a record here. If I was making the record here, I'd probably bring the Kemper in because it is nice. it is nice to have the ability. I never have enough good, clean amps. Like I have tons of dirty amps, but I don't have a lot of stuff that really is super over the top. Great when it comes to clean stuff. And there's another win for the Kemper is you can go down that rabbit hole. Sometimes you can go so far down the rabbit hole, you don't get anything done because <laughs> you end up just playing for like hours and hours and hours. But there's only a handful of um, plugins that I've like really fallen in love with clean tones. Dirty tones, I think, are a little easier in the plugin realm. I think they'll get better. There's a handful that, that are pretty decent. Um, the PRS uh, Supermodel, surprisingly enough, that Dallas um, plugin, I, I think I got the thing for like 25 bucks or something like that. You know, it was like, right. ah, well, you know, throw it in the batch. And then I started using the crap out of it. And I was like, this thing's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's an amazing amp. I'm a huge Doug Doug Sewell who designed that amp, man. He's 
Yeah. He's, you know, he was in Texas. He was, he was making those Doug Sulamps before he took the job with Paul. And, and um, I was going to tell you, I interviewed Tim and what was interesting about those, those guys, cause they're so young, you know, uh, I feel like the soccer dad interviewing. Sure. Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was in Germany. I was in Germany when I interviewed them and uh, they were rehearsing, you know what I mean? And their, their axe effects hadn't been delivered yet. So they played because they wanted to record a bunch of stuff. They were working on some song ideas and stuff. So they sure. played everything clean, like literally clean. Just clean. And, yeah. 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 And then they go, oh, we'll put in we'll put in the, 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 the sound later. And I guess that's like real normal for them because I was talking to them sure. about it. Yeah. And I in fact, it was interesting to watch uh, their minds work because unlike us like getting a tone you know you get the tone and then that like all the inspiration comes from this tone they do it the other way around they're doing it the other way around they they're start just... from here they worry about the tone later i remember them talking um because it, it was interesting when when i first got that plug in and i popped it open immediately i was like okay i'm i have like i can tell a marshall coming from a mile away i'm like this like i don't know if it's a marshall but there's something very marshally about that that pink and purple amp and um one of the interviews was like he didn't even know what it was it was just it was axe effects boutique yeah one whatever boutique one was and then they said further on down i i think it was it was a, a particular marshal that they had used for that um when they were building the plug-in um but for me it was just like one of those ones where i was like it was hard to make the thing sound really bad like i like i, I couldn't make that that sound bad um but the other two plugins were interesting because clean, <laughs> both pretty much very, very clean, you know? Yeah. And then once I started kind of checking, you know, Pliffy out, I was like, Oh, okay. Now I understand the application of this 100%. Right. You know, I was like, okay, completely different style of guitar and everything, but super usable. Like one that I I'm telling you as much as it works in his world, that's sort of, I'm not going to say it's a desert island plug-in, but it's close. Like, like if I had only that, I would be content. <laughs> like, I, I, I'd be totally cool with it, you know. And, and I think part of it is that, uh, you know, that multi-voicer is cool, man. <laughs> it's really, really cool. I'm, I'm like all into whammies and octaves and, you know, anytime you can use harmonies or make things sound like keyboards or not quite guitarish, you know, for, for me, it, it's always kind of a win. And with that one, I was like, oh, man, I can actually move the notes of the harmonies. Or I was like, oh, this is a dream, <laughs> you know, because on the whammy, you've either got usable, usable, you know, crazy, crazy. You know, it's like there's nothing in between where you're really sitting on anything in particular. But for this, I was like, oh, so I can actually if I want to build this seventh chord, I can literally I went in there. I was like, oh, wait a minute. OK, now I can literally pick the chord actually take the voice and move it around i was like genius you know and a killer tool um just from that songwriting point of view yeah so so for me it's like yeah that one will uh that one will stick around for for a while you know and we're stylistically nowhere remotely close to what they do <laughs> you know it's like comparing the really comparing apples and oranges you know mad respect for those guys i mean they, they, they can definitely play for sure no yeah they they are um you know, uh, they're one of those things that you always hear, right? Somebody goes, oh, you know, it's a band. It's a real new sound. And you're right, like, okay. Right. And then you hear it, you go, yep, this is definitely different. Because you got yes, it took yes. me like, it took me that 
hiccup of a second. You know, at first when I heard it, I was like, what the hell's going on? And then I go, oh no, I dig I this. I kind of went the other way because I got the plug in and then um, I went over and I checked out, I'm trying to remember who did it. Somebody had done a demo of that plug in. So I was on YouTube anyways, checking out the demo. And then I just went down his rabbit hole, yeah. like not really the band. So I was just watching him play for like, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. And I was like, I need to find out what this band sounds like. <laughs> then I went back and I actually put the band and went, oh, okay, now, now it's all starting to make a lot of sense. But, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. You know, you got all these young kids. And I think that, that that's another testament to um, where technology has come. You got all these young kids that are happily embracing all of it. Like, yeah, have no problem in playing through an amp, but have no problem playing through a fractal or a Kemper or a plug-in. And like you said, it all, like they're focused on this. They don't even care about the rest yep. of that stuff, which there is a certain beauty of that because I mean, now you're sort of at the point where you can reamp anything. You know, even the way right. that I track, like when I use the plugins, um, I started doing it old school way, you know, saving DSP where I would actually print. And then I went, wait a minute, this is stupid. Like, I don't, these are demos. I would literally just open the plugin. So the only thing that's actually on the track itself is just DI guitar. So right. it can be changed at any given point in time. You know, if I send it over to Elvis and he goes, oh, I don't like the sound of that amp, cool, fire it. <laughs> but whatever you want on there, it's just a DI, which he's always asking for anyway. So I'm like, okay, so there's another win, you know. Um, but yeah, even with the Kemper, we, we, we would do the same thing. You know, I'd run a DI channel out. So he'd, he'd always have just completely wide open. Um, which I don't know how much he would use or he wouldn't use, but just the fact that you don't have to commit to any of that until you're done. Yeah. I mean, you get your drum sound and you can literally audition bass tones for two days, three days, two weeks, however long you want. You know, I mean, it could probably get insane after a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you finally get to the guitar and go, I don't know about the phasing on the bass. Let's go back a week and, you know, listen to everything else that we had. Um, but just the fact that you can do that, you right. know, going back to the Fostex and the Tascam days, you know, yeah. we were just happy to keep the cassette in there and the thing didn't get stuck where you had to take the pencil out and kind of, you know, wind it back in there and do all that stuff. You know, why does it sound so bad? I don't know. Before I let you go, we got to talk about your signature guitar with Dean. Yes. The signature, the one that is, uh, it's been, I guess they, I think they shipped it the beginning of May, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. So we're going on seven months. So know. is it, I heard this, okay. I, I, I heard it's on a, like a boat floating well, out in the ocean. It's is in that true? somewhere. So we, we're, we're going <laughs> to, you know, there's only so many places that it could be. If it's coming from, uh, well, let me see, those imports are coming from, I believe they are coming from China either China or Korea, somewhere in Asia, for sure. Right. Um, yeah, they shipped it in May. So we're going to assume that it's out there on one of the boats somewhere because it had to come across. So uh, it, it's sort of like one of the most frustrating things in the world because we're going to do a USA version. Um, this is an import that we're waiting on. And we just, we wanted to get a, um, a test of, you know, we did sort of like a, I don't want to say watered down too much, but the the U.S. is going to have some bells and whistles that 
we're going to be a little over the top to be able to pull off at the price point. Um, we're, we're experimenting around with LEDs on the US. I'm a little concerned about how much of the cavity you actually have to pull out when you actually put the panel back in there. Because um, I'm used to having a lot of a lot of real estate, like the more wood, the better. Um, right. You're talking about for like LED lights on the fretboard? The lights on the fretboard, yeah. Um, there's a channel that comes back out of the back of the neck, which isn't too bad. And then there's a chunk of the actual body that they have to pull out when they actually put the panel in. It, I don't think it's going to be that much of a deal breaker, but I know that there will be less wood in the U.S. than there would be in the import because the import, I think we're going to do glow in the dark, um, which we've done those on a couple other guitars that I've done with them in the past. Um, sustainer in the bridge. Uh, I'm going to try something different since I literally don't even know if half of my, uh, I'm sorry, sustainer in the neck, not, not, not the bridge, half of my neck pickups. Like I only need a neck pickup when I know that half of my neck pickups probably don't work because <laughs> I haven't used them in years. It's like tick, 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 you know, real scratchy and everything. Um, we're going to put the uh, sustainer in the neck. And then, um, you know, once we get that import in, hopefully it's, it's all dialed in and we don't have to go through this process again because that would suck to have to wait another six or seven months. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically just to sign off and make sure that we've got the, uh, the import version because I mean, we're going to sell a lot more in the import versions than we are the USA's. Sure, you know, of course. It's yeah. it's hard to it's hard to argue the price point with the quality of the instrument that you can get at that price point. I mean, I, I love my USA's, but some of my favorite guitars that I play on stage are imports. Um, you know, the attention to detail is just you know, it's a lot better than it used to be. You know, when I first started playing guitar, when you're playing the budget level guitars or import guitars. You know, other than an Ibanez or or something like that, which obviously they're nothing but import because they're based out of Japan. But um, the the quality of the instruments are just so much better than they used to be. You know. Um, oh, I I've reviewed now. I have eight hundred reviews, and <laughs> like and I can tell you after a while, um, it's tough, right? It's a tough. It's a weird gig to every week go. Okay, I'm gonna talk about a guitar again. How are you gonna talk about a guitar right. again and again sure. and again? Yeah. And the reality of it, uh, looking back now, is that again, like I said earlier about the one percent better. That's the problem. Like I honestly believe from everything I've you know reviewed for all these years and worked on and stuff. Like you said, the American made stuff, the hiring stuff, it's just better. It always is better. It's it's never even a, a question of if it's, if it's better. But the distance of how much better it is not only keeps closing, but it's just not that huge of a difference. And if right. it matters to you and you got the money to pony up, you should do it. Sure. But if you don't got the cash or if you can't uh, reasonably you know, make that that commitment of that kind of amount of money, you're right, That's man. The thing is like, you know, for, I mean, I don't really care who you are. I mean, even if you're not worried about money, if you're going to commit, you know, three to four grand on a guitar, it, that's something you probably need to run by the wife. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, just letting you know, you know, there's going to be a pretty sizable amount going out, you know, trying to convince somebody to spend eight, 800 to $1,000 is a little bit of an easier conversation. Um, especially yeah. for the guitar player who needs more than one guitar, you know, yeah. like the working gigging guitar player, you know, 
you've got so many cool pieces like PRS with the SC um, and, you know, Dean with the import versions. I mean, you could mix and match. You could have one of this and one of that for half the price that it might cost you to buy a US. Um, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding, man. You bring them in the studio and you actually make music with them and they actually show up on records. That's the thing. You know, right. I look at a lot of the imports and be like, there's a handful of imports have seen just as much work just because they were just killer guitars right out of the box, you know, just something that we never put down, never, you know, turned off. Um, every producer's had one of those guitars too. That's just been like, why do you keep going back to that one? That one's just like, it's a boat anchor. It's trash. And he was like, it's one of the best sounding boat anchors I've ever heard, you know? Um, so yeah, it just sort of like the Kemper thing. It's like, why fight it? You know, it's like, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I really do enjoy the craftsmanship of the USA stuff, but this import stuff has gotten so much better. It really, really has. Um, they were actually doing, I don't know if they're still doing it, um, but Dean was actually at one point they were doing the import version US and then they had a Japanese custom shop, which sat right in the middle. So if you were willing to spend between like 1500 and 2500 bucks, you could get, um, I mean, those Japanese custom shops were nice, man. They were really, really nice. But I mean, even back from the days that I was playing Ibanez, they made great guitars. You know, it might not be your cup of tea, but they make a solid instrument for sure. And they always have. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to be in a day and age where uh, Gibson, Gibson's back, finally yeah. back from the dead, you know? Yep making good quality instruments again you know which is sort of where i cut my teeth and i started in the first place but it's it's nice when you know you have a bunch of people over here saying well rock is dead <laughs> and then you've got all these companies that are like you know just knocking it out of the park you know quality wise um the innovation that that's the one thing you know going through this pandemic um I think part of the innovation of, of all of it, it kind of helped me and saved me because it was like, okay, we're going to do a lot of writing. Like I'm used to doing a lot of writing. I don't know if I'm used to writing for two years, <laughs> you know, so it was nice to be able to actually take the deep dive into, a, you know, a lot of new um, amp plugins, pieces of software, you know, stuff like that. Because um, anything that you can do to kind of mix up the writing process, you know, I don't really... I'm going to do it right now because I'm in the middle of it. Um, it's like the writer's block thing happened to me really, really bad a long time ago once. And I've figured a couple workarounds, but, you know, nine times out of 10, it's like just sometimes just a new plugin, a new amp, a new, you know, it, it could be something simple. You know, it can be like the one thing that, just, you know, the multivoicer. If I were to plug in the multivoicer right now, I'd probably go down. I'd probably end up somewhere that I had no idea I was going to go and then record everything. And then all of a sudden there'll be a, you know, a song that'll come out of it. So, um, so yeah, it's like, I think the innovation and all these companies that have been pushing the envelope and, and, and upping their game, you know, getting quality instruments. Um, it definitely made the pandemic a whole lot more livable for sure. Cause I spent a lot of time in this room. <laughs> I spent more time in this room in the past two years um, than I probably have since I've had the room. Um, and it's, it's been great. You know, I mean, it's not ideal, you know, not touring is, uh, you know, obviously something that everyone sort of had to get their heads wrapped around, but that's only part of what we do, you know, 
I enjoy touring. I love being in the studio, but I also really enjoy the creative part of the process, you know? And there's days where I'll come in here and I just beat my head against the wall and nothing happens. You know, I'm pushing everything, smacking everything, just walk out of here super frustrated. I'll come in the next day and within the first 13 seconds, all of a sudden it's like, boom, song's in your lap. There it is. You know, fasten your seatbelt. I'm not sure how I got here. Like, I don't know what changed. So, yeah, I mean, kind of like fishing, you know. You always have best intentions when you go fishing. <laughs> this is, what am I going to get today, you know? Or how I many saw, am I going to get today? <laughs> I saw I saw somewhere you were training for a triathlon, right? Or yeah, like I've done a couple. Um, I'm actually, um, it, the triathlon thing is sort of on pause only because um, we have no idea what our schedule is going to look like next year. Now that touring is kind of starting to open um, back up again. I know we've got... Um, probably spring early summer we've got a few commitments that we're going to be doing i'd love to get another 70.3 um, iron man in but they're expensive they're really tough to train for and i don't want to lose my money on another one of these things if i can't do the race so um i'm in marathon training now i got a marathon in february so um the cool thing about that coming from triathlon is you don't really have to swim that much well, in the marathon, you're not going to swim at all. Right. Um, but like, as far as training and cross training, I don't have to worry about the swim or the bike. You know, triathlon is a production. <laughs> it's fun, um, but there's so many things that can go wrong. With marathon, you put your shoes on and you go out and run. So I'm like, I don't have to worry about all this gear, none of this stuff. So, so yeah, marathon in February, and then um, probably put another Ironman on the calendar once I get that finished and sort of get a get a decent idea of where, you know, where in the world the band's going to be. You know, if I, we're going to be in the studio over the summer, then I'll probably shoot for them. The reason I asked is because when you mentioned, you know, kind of being trapped in the house or trapped mm -hmm. in the room, I was wondering if that was something you were utilizing to kind of, kind of free your mind, you know, you didn't get outside the house. Well, both. You know? I mean, it, the, the cool thing about, um, we actually, our neighborhood's a golf course, so it's a sizable neighborhood. I've done a 50 mile bike ride in the neighborhood. It's not fun, <laughs> you know, not, not, not as fun as going out to the park or the trails or stuff like that. But I mean, I, I do runs in here every day and we've got a pool down at the backside of the neighborhood that's it's Olympic sized pool. So I didn't have to go anywhere. You know, the, the good thing for me was I picked something that I literally could do all the training. You know, as soon as COVID came around, lockdown, boom, shut it down. I was like, okay, you know, I got my bike in the garage. I got a treadmill, I've got, you know, the weights are all set up down there. I've got the pool right there. You know, I mean, it was, it was weird after a while. I was like, I'm sitting here training and acting like, you know, everything's normal and people walk around with masks and stuff like that. And of course, you know, a year ago, you're, you're kind of looking at things a little bit differently than we're looking at now or yeah. a year and a half ago, even, you know, when the whole thing first started. But um, yeah, I, I think I got lucky in the fact that I could do 100% of my training here at the house like I didn't need to leave so you know there was it was no reason to go to the gym it was like I have everything that I need here like you know going to the gym is more of a social thing you know so and now we're sort of getting back to that but I'm like I don't know man I'm still crossing my fingers you know got these new variants this Omicron or whatever that thing is yeah yeah <laughs> like what are they talking about now well I think I think 
I think we've had to uh to kind of accept that they're just going to keep coming up with stuff for a, for a while. Um, I, think so. I mean, it's just it's you know, but you know, on the on the other hand, I don't know if you saw like the they're doing cruises again. I mean, they're yeah. there's you know we're going to be on one in January. Yeah. So uh, is that which cruise is that? Shiprock. Shiprock. Yeah. 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 So you know and. You know, now the you testing know. process is going to be weird because um, I believe we have to be vaccinated beyond, and I think we have to do um, like the test seventy-two hours. You yeah. know, before. and then they also do a thing like to even get on the ship. What I saw with all these cruises so far is you you have to have your vaccinations, then you have to be tested like within seventy-two hours, and yeah. then they do something on a last test before you get on the ship. Right. Uh, I think they test to see if you have like any I don't know something else. Which um, see for us is interesting because normally, um, like, not all the time, but I think we've gone out of New Orleans once and then we went out of Galveston another time, which we're going out of Galveston this time. When we go out of Florida, we're here, so we don't have to do the flying or any of that stuff. For this, I'm like, okay, we got to work back from cruise leaves on this date. We got to fly in, so we got to do the weird thing here the 72 hours for the test, <laughs> like literally we, we need to line up the, all right, what day are we taking the test? You know, what, what day is it going to be too long, not too long? And I, I forget who it was. Somebody um, just posted last week. They, I forget who it was. Delta Airlines literally delayed the flight. Like it was delayed two hours then it was delayed two more hours. Then it was, eventually delayed i think all in all it was delayed like eight or nine hours finally gets on the plane gets to where he's supposed to be going and he's missed the window for the test by four hours oh. yeah. so they sent him home and i was like but there was the airline that did that like he didn't have an option he was under the window and you guys yeah. ran so literally sent him all the way home and he had to start the process over again so i'm like okay before we screw this up getting on the ship let's do our homework and find out because what's crazier is we're all coming from different cities and different states. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, trying to thread the needle with everyone coming in all at once. You know, I went to crazy. my, I went to my first show, first concert mm -hmm. um, last month, maybe the beginning of this month. And it took an hour and a half to get into the show through the pro because you have to, there's three lines of now you have to, you know, show your vaccination or your test within 48 hours. And then, and then there's the, you know, the security checkpoint. And the, so it's like, it was that realization, like, this is going to be a thing for a while, this process, yeah. which is oh, fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. the good news is like that show people, I want to get out. Everybody wants to get out so bad <laughs> to go yeah. see you guys, yeah. to go see people play. Yeah. Um, we actually had a discussion um, a couple of weeks ago. It was like, you know, just kind of spitballing ideas, just talking out loud. <laughs> I think it was me. It was like live stream. And everyone was like, no, they're dead. They're done. Everyone wants to go to real concerts. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, I know we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but at least that's a good thing to where, okay, it's not even a discussion of, you know, should we think about a live stream? It was like, no, nah, unless you're going to do it like for an album release or something like that. It was like, there's no point. Like people want to be back engaged in society and life. You know, they want to see people. They want to actually do stuff. You know, I, I totally get it. 
Absolutely. The first couple of shows back for me, I was like, all right, <laughs> this makes me feel a whole lot better. That, that show, that's a long, since I was 14 years old, I have never gone more than just a few months without seeing a band. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden for the first time in my life, I go a year, a year oh, and yeah. a half. Like, yeah. and it, and it, and I, and I've, interviewed so many musicians now you know i see that it's actually affected you guys even more deeply not performing but it just seems like a foreign like it seems seem foreign not to see bands oh yeah yeah um and absolutely like i said i don't care you know if i have to do a test and a and and have a shot and get a booster and put a duct tape on my face whatever it takes um i i realize that that uh there's a that part of the you know the part of my joy in my life watching perform music um especially uh because you know uh, like when i started last couple years watching all the classic bands before it was too late (laughs) you know um and because you know we're starting noticing now the you know the older older bands you know, it's it's not even that they might pass away. It's just they're they're down to one member now and stuff. You know, right, what I mean? right. And yeah. um, and then I think how we're getting all robbed of this. So I think I agree with you. I are I I think that literally, it's gonna be floodgates. Um, I was interviewing uh, another musician the other day, and they were saying that Live Nation is expecting like and next year to the numbers to almost triple. In, yeah. in what they're going to do in volume because of the fact that everybody's like and i feel that way as as a, as a fan i feel like i'm like and if seven dust is anywhere near where i am right yeah, now i'm yeah. gonna go see you guys you know what it's I mean? crazy because it's like you had all of these bands that were you know locked up um we seven seven us might have been the only band that had like teed it up perfectly for the pandemic because we finished the record in November and we were shut down like three or four months later. So ours was in the can, like we didn't have to be in the pandemic. So we didn't write a concept record about COVID or anything like that. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, when I was doing the projected record, I was like, Hmm, I was like, no, everybody, every other band on earth is going to be writing about the same thing. So even though I know you're inspired by current events, you can't have it just be about that. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, you know, we shut down with a record in the can and, um, you know, six, eight months in, it was like, this is the longest we've gone without playing. And that was a weird, you know, realization because we stopped in August. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was like July. We did the record August. September, October, finished in November. Yeah, so, okay, we shut down from July. And then we were shut down till the following July with no end in sight. So, yeah, it was basically two years, which for us is an eternity, you know? Right. So we, we, we teed it up right in the fact that the album was timed to where it was like, okay, at least we've had it done. But we'd already been off tour for six months at that point so we were sort of like chomping at the bit ready to go and it was like oh no wait a minute (laughs) you know as i go get comfortable being at home a little bit longer um but yeah it's like i think the whole world is just sort of ready to you know get back to something you know figure out like 
is it going to be endemic is this something that we're going to deal with every year yeah okay is it like yeah. you know you get your flu shot you're going to get your covid booster every year if so fine sign me up yeah you know it's like oh, you don't know what's in that shot i'm like you don't know what's in half the stuff you're putting in your body and you're worried about <laughs> that i'm i want to get back to life yeah, yeah, that's that's my attitude as well. I like whatever. I, I'm I not happy about anything, but I want to. Yeah, yeah. I I just want to get back, you know, to enjoying those things because once you take it away from people, you know, I mean, this pandemic has been tough on everyone, but you know, there's a lot of people who like really, really struggled, you know, through this whole thing. You know, whether it be people in our in industry or people who just you know, they need that social outlet, that social environment. Um, I'm more of a loner, you know, a loner and, you know, doing triathlon, you sort of have to be because there's a lot of people like, no, I'm not going to ride 50 miles with you at 5 a.m. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so for me, I was sort of like, okay, I'm already sort of in that mode and checked out. Um, but I tried to imagine that I wasn't, I was like, I, I don't, I don't know how I mean, I don't know how people would go a year and a half without doing the things that they love to do. You know, got buddies of mine um, that come and see us, but they see every other band too. They'll go to 250 shows a year, you know? Right. And that's like, a, that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't understand. We like, this is what I love to do more than anything. And, you know, to completely take that away from people, I think people are over it. I think they're completely over it. You know, I think numbers are probably spike, you know, through the holidays, just because people are sort of over all of it. You know, I, but I spent my whole life uh, as a typical fan. I spent my whole life buying CDs. That was the thing. That was the ritual for me all the time. Right. Payday CDs, CDs. <laughs> right. Right. You yeah. go to Sam Goody, you go to tower, whatever, right. You get music. And, uh, and that, I mean, literally like junior high, <laughs> right till till you know for decades until of course slowly your 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 cds collection stuff it gets dwindled down to the fact that you're just now you know you're you're um using pandora using uh spotify and stuff and uh, i always like to say this just in case uh, i always like to say this publicly um what i like to do is i still buy the cds online as more of a support mechanism sure um i actually i know joe and one time I bought a Roxanne CD bundle from him on, on, on a Saturday night. And he, he calls me Monday and he's like, Hey, Phil, I'll, you know, I'll hook you up. And I go, Oh no, I was drunk. And I was listening to Roxanne on, on Spotify. And I thought these guys aren't getting paid shit. So I'm just going to order the CD. So <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> because out of a guilt mechanism, you know, cause I'm going to say yeah. I'm on these same platforms and I get like a penny sure. per thousand views, you know, kind of deal. Sure, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I understand the concept. It takes a lot of mileage to get, you know, get this. yeah. And, yeah. um, but what happened with me was once that, once that thing was taken from me, I was like, Oh, I, I can't, I can't not do that. I just spent my whole life doing that. I started going to live shows like crazy. Because I figured out that's what you do now, right? It's uh, all that money I wasn't spending on CDs now. I just go, okay, that's the concert tickets. The concert, yeah. 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 And so I literally in the last, let's say, 15 years, I probably went to 100%, I don't know, more concerts than I ever went to before. Before it was maybe two or three a year. And then all of a sudden it became 12 a year and then, you know, 20 a year. 
And like I said, and then when this the pandemic comes, it's it's almost like that another person took away the mechanism of how I like to enjoy my life, which is music. Sure. And I think so I was I, doing I was doing an interview when we were um, when we were wrapping up or or um, getting ready to launch the Seven Dust stuff because um, <laughs> you know it, you deal with Spotify you know I mean it all started with Napster and all that stuff you know and it's been it, it's been a learning process you know it's like the whole business model has completely changed and it's like all right well yes okay Spotify you know takes up x amount of you know whatever but we're not spending three million dollars to make a record like we used to you know so it it sort of works like the computer has worked its magic on both sides of the equation um and i remember saying literally you know it's it's almost got the point where the live show is where it's at it's the one thing they can't take away from us (laughs) and then you know and then they coronavirus said hold my beer and came right on through and i went there's no way this is really going down like this so yeah um that that taught me to never ever (laughs) assume that you you know that it can be taken away and and taken away like that you know so quickly that it was like there was no preparation no nothing it was just sort of like overnight boom everything shut down and you're not going to be touring for a long time I went, okay. You know, um, so yeah. You know, yeah. And note to self, don't ever assume anything is, you know, secure and perfect and it's going to be around forever. Yeah. But the good news is, the good news is, I really believe there's a lot of us out there that are like, all right, I'll go to the show, I'll wear the mask. I'll, yeah. You know, like I said, if, it, if you're going to tell me, get a test, get a shot, wear a mask, all of the above, wash your hands, stay two feet from everybody, whatever that takes. Well, then I'll just do that yeah. to go see a show. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's enough people. I know everybody else is extreme in two different directions, but I think there's enough people down that center idea that it's like, you know, you're not going to stop me from enjoying my life again. We, we, right. we obviously we had to figure out how to deal with this. But I think at this point, we kind of know now, right? Just sure. take, just like yeah. any, just like any, like it, I tell people like it's, I now I like it, and this is dumb, but I like in COVID to skydiving. There's just now a set of things you're going to do if you want to make sure you, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that actually makes a complete sense. It's like, yeah, when, you know, March of 2020, <laughs> You know, we were all going, everyone's going to die. <laughs> we're all going to die. <laughs> right. And now we're like, well, no, you're not going to die. It could suck for a while. And you might have to, you know, do a treatment or if you can stay on the front or if you've been vaccinated, it probably won't be that bad. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it, there's so many different things that we can do and we're learning. And obviously with these different variants and stuff like that, but it's like, at some point, I, I think we're all just going to, you know, say, Hey, yeah, well, we're, we have to figure life has to continue, you know, somehow yeah. or another, you know, shutting the whole thing down. Cause they're talking about another shutdown. And I'm like, I don't think any economy is going to be able to withstand any kind of a shutdown. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to, <laughs> it's going to be a minute before we can pay for the one, the last one. Right. You know? And I'm like, you want to, you want to do another one? <laughs> well, I, I, like I said, I think, 
I think, well, I live in Arizona and Arizona was one of the weird states that, you know, half the time it wasn't like there was a pandemic at all. Right. We were very casual here. (laughs) Um, And um, so, I mean, I've seen other states that were more extreme. In, sure. in all the directions Florida. We were, hey, yeah, Florida. yeah yeah like, yeah, hey, yeah. You know, we, we, we set records on both ends of the spectrum you know it's like <laughs> oh crazy <laughs> and, and uh what's what's funny about this is like i said i think it's information i think it's just you can scare people you can trick us if we don't know sure you, you know a perfect example I'll, I'll tell you and i'm curious they'll ask me this question curious to see what you think so when i got this whatever gig this youtube podcast gig that right started for me like in 2016 17 one of the things that came with it was all of a sudden travel i used to never travel and i had to travel all the time we're everywhere for this thing and what i learned about traveling which i in fact i've had a little taste of what rock stars go through in the weirdest way like i travel somewhere and then because i'm on youtube they're like oh you need to jump up on stage and play with this band you know so i would do these things sure. and um i you know and what I learned was traveling is you get sick all the time, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and now I, I, I was telling my wife, I go, well, now I can tell you right now, now that it's more socially acceptable, I'm never going to not wear a mask or not. You know what I mean? Like anytime <laughs> I can get away with any of this stuff, yeah, I'm yeah. like, because that's, the, you know, um, for instance, so I'm going to ask you, because I, I don't think people thought about it. I never thought about what you guys go through until i had a taste of it like i said getting off a plane and all of a sudden five people want to shake your hand yeah and you're shaking hands and you you know and you're like you're just trying to get the next act you know next terminal but oh, yeah. you don't have time to wash your hands sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and people you know and then obviously so i think this is going to teach us all to kind of change a little bit you know i'm sure you had to go to nam shows nam thrax i carry i carry hand sanitizer with me at all times i mean i really have a small thing of hand sanitizer because you never know when stuff like that is going to happen because it does happen it sucks right now like that you know past couple times we've been out on tour you know live nation has given us a certain protocol that we have to follow and there's no physical interaction with fans at this point you know we'll do like a vip from the stage and do the picture from the stage and stuff, but there's still very little contact and right. up close and personal. But even when there is, the hand sanitizer everywhere is stacked. I mean, it's so crazy. Look at the front ladge of the bus. It's all hand sanitizer and COVID <laughs> tests and masks. That's it. I'm like, okay, we got everything we need to go and do, and do a tour. You know, it's like two years ago, we'd have looked at that stuff and been like, what is all this stuff doing here? What's going on? This is crazy. This is nuts. Um, yeah, it, you know, I mean, we're figuring workarounds for everything, you know, putting plastic in proper places, you know, just the socially distancing and just the, you know, just trying to do your, the, the best that you can do to not get it, you know, right. and if you do, you know, I mean, hopefully you're vaccinated and, you know, hopefully yeah. you don't have it bad. I had it in August and I was, I was vaccinated. I was a breakthrough case, you know. For me, I missed um, one day of training. <laughs> the day I tested positive, I was like, I should probably get some rest. And then the next day, I was just like, I'm stir crazy. This is nuts. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, hopefully it's not something that's going to stick around for forever. But it seems like, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're sort of headed in the right direction, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, yeah. cautiously, you know, I think the opening up, you know, so far 
I don't think we've been seen anything that correlates with, oh my God, they opened up and, you know, just we wiped an entire city off the you know planet. Right. You're not having any of that stuff. But I mean, it, I think it really depends on how deep you want to dive into it. Like how, how scared do you really want to be? Right. You well, want to that... put the full hat on and you want to walk around and act like you're going to get it from going to the mailbox, then that's on you. But I, I can't live like that, you know? Yeah. And I'm also not going to walk around ignoring that it's, you know, oh, it's not a thing. I'm never wearing a mask. I'm never washing my hands again. I'm like, well, you're gross. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> hanging out with you. Because <laughs> I don't care about COVID or not, but you need to wash your hands either way. You know what I mean? <laughs> a little personal hygiene goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. Especially as a touring musician. <laughs> yeah. Washing your hands. Everyone's like, why do you wash your hands so much? I'm like, hey, <laughs> shake that many hands, give that many hugs. <laughs> yeah i uh that's what i said when as right before COVID happened i was i was i was just i was just right before COVID happened that's just when i had finished doing all this traveling for the mm -hmm. channel and stuff and i was all burnt out so it kind of timed itself to where i was like oh good <laughs> right, right i'd like to stop because i already <laughs> i already had a bunch of travel again and um and and um but um uh, uh, I always like to, I don't know why I say this. I just, it's just to tell everybody. It's funny. Uh, I haven't had a cold since COVID. Well, that's good. Yeah. Because the, like I was already kind of before I was pretty neurotic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, like I said, right. when I would shake people's hands, I learned to never touch my face or anything with my right hand. So I'd always shake hands with my left hand and, <laughs> and I'd have the, you talk about sanitizer. I figured out you could keep sanitizer in one of those squirt ones and you could one hand squirt it in your hand and like wash your own hand <laughs> this way. That's awesome. Because, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna have to try that. I've never even thought to try that. That's I, I always use the two hands. All right, one hand. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I just started yeah. doing that because, like I said, the first time I started traveling, all of a sudden I got like you know I came back from one of the trips and I just had I got the flu, right? And you're like, course, oh, yeah. what was that? Yeah. And then and then a couple months later I got the flu again and I was like, what the hell's going on? And then a bunch of my friends who who are good. actually touring musicians are like oh man dude oh, yeah. <laughs> we used like, to get sick all the time and then we realized okay you know this is on us you just gotta you know have exceptional hygiene and then i went through a period where um i mean it was up until covid it was a good five-year stretch that i'd been sick it was really really strange but that just goes to show you how much we've you know I'm not going to lie. There, there have been a couple of VIPs that we've done in the summer. Right. And when we were finished, you know, I'm looking at Clint, Clint's looking at me and I'm like, who's going to make it to the shower first? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not washing my hands. I'm going to actually take a shower real quick. Yeah. And you go, you just, you know, rinse off. Cause you know, you got people who are standing outside, you know, sweating all afternoon and they're, they, they want to give you a hug and I get it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, all right, I'm going to de-louse, make sure that we're, you know, starting, starting fresh. But yeah, not knock on wood, um, being sick on tour sucks. I can imagine. Being, being sick sucks, but being sick on tour where it's like, there's no real day off. You know, you're, you're going to gut through it um, and potentially get everyone else sick too, which is the other thing. You're in such close proximity that when you're sick, you're like, you're screwed on both ends. You're like, I can't, we can't stop and I can't hang out with any of you because I don't want to get any of y'all sick either. But, so. but, 
But don't you find that the good news? Like, I think now that it's going to be, I think it's going to be, because it was already socially acceptable, like in Asia and stuff. To me, the idea now, if I have a cold that I can wear a mask. Wear a mask. Yeah. And, and not look like I'm being weird. <laughs> I think that's I take great. a mask everywhere with me, whether, you know, I mean, there's yeah. some times where I walk in and I'm like, I'm the only person in the store wearing a mask and I do not care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm good right now. Because yeah. I'm totally cool, you know. It's like all these people that are up in arms. They're like, man, I saw, you know, this dude, he was driving down the street with a mask on. What, what's going on there? I'm like, you probably stole the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you couldn't tell who it was. I was like, man, I never thought about that. I'm like, hey, you know, masks may have their advantages. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, but like I like I said, I'm excited to see you, you guys again. I'm excited when you guys get back out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh Cause I think everybody's, I think we're all ready. I'm definitely biting at the bits. You know, I've been yeah. like anybody who's coming even close to me. I've been already figuring out how to get there. I'm like, Oh, it's a four hour drive. I'm definitely going, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So very cool. Well, I appreciate you. I took you forever. So I probably, hey, I'm sorry. It took no so worries, much time, but no worries, man. thank you for, for joining the podcast. And yeah, for and, sure, man. And um, sure. And I'll make sure I'll put links for everything down below yeah, so people can check absolutely. out uh, the, 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 your, your solo project. I guess it's not really a solo project. You're, you guys are a band. It's just, we're sort of a, yeah, yeah. I, I call it a band, you know, those guys call it a solo project. I call it a band. So, you know, but it, 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 either way, it's, it's the same thing. Right. Um, and uh, other than that, thank you again, man. Thank you for yeah, hanging man, out. Stuff. It, was, it was a for good sure. time. And uh, cool, cool, yeah. I look forward to hopefully talking to you again. Like I said, maybe next time you guys, when you're on tour, maybe I'll hopefully, say hi. Hopefully we'll yeah. see you on tour real soon. So. Yeah. All right. Well, cool, All right. man. All right. All right. Thanks, John. Take care of it, man. All right. Bye.